0: Good morning, everyone. Uh, For those who have been following our journey right through the Bible in a year and have been using this book as a guide, you'll know that we actually uh, missed a bit, uh, a vitally important bit, although it wasn't so much that we missed it or that we left it out, it was more a case of deciding to leave it until now for various obvious reasons, and that particular bit was the Christmas story. Now when it comes to telling this story the obvious places to turn are the Gospels of either Matthew or Luke where you meet all the familiar characters like Mary and Joseph and angels and shepherds and wise men and the innkeeper and Herod but this morning we're going to turn to the gospel that in the ancient church was symbolized by an eagle. And I'll come back to that in in a moment. A gospel in the New Testament that powerfully shares the Christmas message, but there's not a manger, or a baby, or a star, or a bunch of gifts in sight. The gospel is John. And in his version of the Christmas story, the scene or the backdrop for Jesus' coming into the world is not Bethlehem. For John, the universe is the stage. And instead of the image of a tiny baby in a manger, John uses this image, this term. The word became flesh. That, if you like, is is his headline. That is the really Big deal about Christmas for this writer, and John doesn't want anyone to miss it or forget it. But back to the eagle before we actually read what John wrote. One of the reasons why the ancient church used the eagle to represent John was because they felt that his gospel soared. His gospel reached dizzy heights as it told the story of Jesus. And therefore, as we read the first 18 verses of the first chapter, often called the prologue, let me encourage you to allow your thinking to fly a little. Okay, so let's stand together. It's page uh, 1063 in the Bibles in the pews. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood or overcome it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light. John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. But God, the one and only who is at the Father's side, has made God known. Do grab a, a seat. Most stories start with a sense of once upon a time. But not this one. John's story about Jesus begins with a sense of once before time. In the beginning, he writes, which are clear echoes of Genesis chapter 1. And so we're right back to the start. And that's exactly where John wants to take us in our thinking as he introduces us to the Word. In the beginning was the Word. He's making the point that the Word existed before time began, did not come into being, was not created, never a time when the Word was not. And six verses, or six, yeah, six verses into six words, sorry, into his gospel, and John has affirmed the eternal existence of the Word. And in a sense, this is one of the reasons why the ancient church symbolized this, uh, John as an eagle. He's just soaring. In the beginning was the Word. How do you fully explain that? How can you fully explain that? We are into the realms of mystery, and that's okay. And one of the songs that we sing uh, at Windsor from time to time captures this mystery in its opening lines. You're the word of God, the Father, from before the world began. The word has always been. And therefore, as, as John continues to write, the next thing he declares, it kind of follows logically. Or at least it would have in many people's thinking. Because if you go back to Genesis 1.1, it says, In the beginning, God. And then you turn to John 1.1, and it says, In the beginning was the word. Then it's no real surprise to discover that John's next comment confirms that they were together. In the beginning was the word. Next piece, the word was with God. And if you were to stop there, at that point, you'd be left with the idea, well, they're different. They're separate. The word is with God. They're together, but they're apart. But John doesn't stop there. He, he adds a further phrase that would have and still does send heads spinning. The word was God. How can someone, how can this word be with God? And be. Humanly speaking that doesn't make sense. You can't be with. And at the same time be. It's too much for our minds to comprehend. It's mystery. It's mind bending. Expanding. And yet. Whenever you embrace it. It is awe inspiring. It's a truth. That fuels your worship. The word. Was. God, divine. And so now we're looking at the space of one verse, 17 words. And yet John has said so much that we actually, I don't think, are ever able to fully comprehend. And he goes on in the next 12 verses to give us even more information about this word as the picture of Jesus builds. So look at verse 3 with me. If you, if you have a copy of God's word in front of you, it'll be really helpful. But look at verse 3. He says, through him. Now stop there. Because up to this point, it's been the word. Now it's through him. What John is saying is this word is personal. It's a him, not an it. This is Jesus. And what he's saying is that in or through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In other words, Jesus, the word, was involved in the creative process. He is the agent of creation. And this is a thought that other New Testament writers would pick up and state explicitly. Here's one example. For in him... Referring to Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him. And for him, says Paul. And John also recognizes the word's role in creation. And if you glance down to verse 10, he comes back to this by restating the fact that the world was made through him. He's personal, he's creative. Plus, in verse 4, he develops us even further by saying that in him, in this word, in Jesus, was life. In Jesus was life. He's the source. This word is the life giver. He's the life carrier. Not just physically, but as we will discover spiritually as well. He is the one that gives life. And then John begins to inject hope into people's present reality. Because although this word was with God and this word was God and although he was the agent of creation all this can feel a little bit out there. All a little bit removed from us here and now. What has this got to do with me? What impact Can he make on my life? And at this point, John then reveals something about this word that will become one of his favorite ways of speaking of Jesus. He says that he's the light of all people. All people. The true light that gives light to everyone. The true light that shines in the darkness. So clearly this word is not going to remain distant and uninvolved. Somehow it's going to invade the darkness. Somehow this word is going to engage with a fallen world. It's going to provide light. And although the darkness will not like it, the darkness will not be able to extinguish it. But how? How was this light going to shine? How was this light going to be seen? And then John in verse 9, if you like, drops a bombshell to his initial readers. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. This word that was God was with God. This word through whom everything was made was actually coming into the world. How? How was he going to come into this dark world? In a brilliant flash of lightning? As some kind of cosmic superhero figure? No. It appears he's coming as one of us. And so John 1, 14, which is probably one of the most important verses in the entire Bible, says this. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And here we're confronted with the scandal of Christmas. This is the amazing reality and truth behind this time of year. God became one of us. Now for many of John's contemporaries and the philosophers of his day, this this idea that the word this idea that the word who was God or, or the logos, and to use the Greek term, for the word to become flesh and to arrive on planet Earth in human form was nothing sort of re- revolutionary. This was extraordinary, John. This was mysterious. And Christmas is or it should be. Or have we lost our sense of wonder? Has it all just become so familiar? To think that the eternal word, the agent of creation, the true light that gives light to everyone, would appear into our darkness and onto our messed up globe as a human being and therefore as a helpless human baby. Initially, is just mind-blowing. And so as Philip Yancey wrote, and if you were here at the carol service three years ago, this will be a familiar quote. Stepping from his throne, Jesus removed his robe of light and wrapped himself in skin, pigmented human skin. The light of the universe entered a dark, wet womb. He whom angels worship nestled himself in the placenta of a peasant. The word became flesh. Flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. And I honestly believe it is part of the challenge we face every Christmas, is to retain that sense of wonder at that. That as we celebrate Christmas, we're not actually celebrating just the birth of Jesus. Although it's entirely appropriate that we do that. But what we are actually celebrating is the incarnation Sorry, hold on. One of the central doctrines of the Christian faith that actually means God became flesh and blood. And he moved into our neighborhood. And it's one of the unique aspects of the Christian faith. Because in no other world religion or major world religion does God come in human form. But why did he do it? Because that's the question that that flows. Why, God, why did you do this? Why go to such extreme measures? Well, one of the core reasons, although for some people this will probably sound far too simplistic, maybe even over-sentimental, and yet it's true, it's what we passionately believe. God did this because he loves us. And God didn't just say that. He proved it. And he came to express it tangibly. One night, a young mum was tucking her daughter in the bed. And outside, a storm had kicked off complete with thunder and lightning. And the kid was understandably scared stiff. And after a while, she did seem to settle. And so the mum headed downstairs to, to grab something to drink and to read. And the little girl lay there for as long as she could, but finally she jumped out of bed, she ran downstairs, she climbed up onto her mum's knee and she said, listen, I'm really, really afraid. And the mum held her tight for a while and then the two of them headed back upstairs. Five minutes later, the little girl was down again in tears. And as the mum carried her upstairs, she tried to comfort her, saying, listen, it's okay. You're perfectly safe. And remember, God loves you and he's watching over you and he'll take care of you. And the little girl looked at her mum and replied, I know that. But when it's thundering and lightning outside, I want someone with skin on to love me. And I love that. And that, if you like, is the main message of John chapter 1. That someone with skin on has come to love us. God with skin on, has come to prove and demonstrate his amazing, unconditional, unquestionable love. But if you take this a little further, and it flows from this thought, another reason why the word became flesh was not only to express that God loves, but that God wanted to make himself known. And therefore, God took on visibility. How can you know God who is spirit? How can you know a God you can't see or can't touch? And so God takes the initiative because he wants relationship with us. And so he chooses to come and place himself within access of our senses. A God that we can touch and see, smell. God comes as a human being. Jesus provides visible and tangible ways of understanding the invisible and the intangible. As one commentator has written, God chose to make himself known finally and ultimately in a real historical man. And later on in John's Gospel, he writes or he records a comment that Jesus made that we kind of lift the lid on this, where Jesus said, anyone who has seen me Has seen the father. And so no longer is God a disembodied voice. The incarnation gives this wonderful insight. That not only is Jesus like God. But God is like Jesus. And always has been. And the Bible goes on to teach that in Jesus. All the fullness of God dwells in bodily form. It's all there in Jesus. And so as we read about Jesus and discover more about Jesus, as we listen to his teaching and consider his character, we get to know God.